hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Now, if you are paralyzed with fear or if you you know got any fear anyway and you're just not getting that thing done and you just don't know how to move past it today's guest is going to really give you a nudge and I just love it and and he's actually somebody quite infamous and you're going to love it so let me tell you about him Scott Harris comes from a family of very established and highly successful individuals. Trust me on this one. At a very young age, Scott convinced his parents to send him to a military boarding school in Wisconsin, and he learned to fly at the age of 12. That's flying planes, by the way. At the age of 17, he enlisted in the Army where he developed a passion for skydiving, and he soon won the National Collegiate Skydiving Championships. A terrible skydiving accident left him with a shattered femur, broken tibia, three broken ribs, facial stitches and concussion, but he was back in the air three months later. Now, for me, I probably would have stopped. But anyway, Scott earned commercial, instrument and certified flight instructor ratings and would eventually run a parachute school. Years later, he met his second wife who connected him to the world of photography, which became his profession. And over the years, Scott has built a successful property inspection business and has become known as an expert in infrared thermography. Scott is also the author of the book Leap Forward Over Any Obstacle. He's a public speaker and provides training programs for the corporate sector to help managers and entrepreneurs achieve their goals and improve their performance. Now, you may also remember the infamous photographer that parachuted, uninvited, into Elizabeth Taylor's wedding at Michael Jackson's ranch. Yep, guess what? That's the guy we're talking to today, and I'm sure you're all dying to hear about this. Welcome, Scott. Glad to be here, Karen. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one. I, You know, you've... Uh, come from a family of high achievers and you're a high achiever yourself and you've done some incredible stuff that would take most people probably 150 years to achieve so looking forward to this conversation some of my activities overlap that's how I shove it all into a tighter time frame (laughs) (laughs) fantastic now I want to ask you let's start with um all of these achievements, and, and, you know, there's too many to mention. I mentioned a hell of a lot at the start. You're getting your pilot license and, you know, parachuting and running a parachute school and all sorts of stuff and your book and everything else that you're doing. Tell us a bit more about your life as a youngster. Like, where did all this come from? Well, my parents were very engaged people in all the stuff they were doing. And in some ways that made it difficult for me because they weren't, as engaged with me as a lot of, especially modern families would be. Mm. But they set a tremendous example for me to follow. They were both life masters in bridge. Uh, My father was an internationally renowned chess player. He played, uh, you know, he was a state champion racquetball player and he had a great career as an orthodontist. So they were both really busy doing things. They were all, they were definitely doers. And that left a huge impression on me that that's what life is for. You do stuff, you play hard, you work hard, and you're constantly trying to do better at whatever you're doing. And, uh, you know, as a kid, that was kind of daunting. I mean, I always felt like I wasn't really good enough and I would never measure up. But as I got older and I started accomplishing things on my own right, the example that they had set for me started to mean more to me. And the fact that I was 
maybe uncomfortable as a kid felt less important than the example that, you know, I had something to strive for. And ultimately that's all that matters to me is, you know, to follow that example, to constantly try to improve myself and do better than myself. One of the things that's, that's the kind of a common theme with people like me is that, you know, most others perceive us as being super competitive and it's true, but it's not true. I am super competitive, but I'm only competing with me. Mm. I don't care how somebody else does. I'm when I'm striving to be better than I am, I'm only looking at my own performance and trying to improve upon that. I'm really not paying attention to the performance of others around me. And if I encourage somebody else or say, you know, good hit or whatever, if I'm playing somebody, I mean it. I really am happy to see somebody else do well. And if someone does better than me, that doesn't make me feel worse because I don't care. I only want to do better than I did. And as long as I'm improving, I'm very happy about what I'm doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, absolutely makes sense. I'm the same. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Comparison's a bad thing. But it's um, if, you, if you're comparing yourself to you, the way you were yesterday and just ever-growing. Imagine if everybody in the world just tried to put put a better step forward every single day, you know, just for themselves, like just because right. they wanted to be better contributors to their own life and to the world and, and, and even to be better for and within the relationships around them, you, you know, whatever that may be. I, I think that's a great philosophy. I, I absolutely love that. Well, your parents taught you well. And it's, it's, you, you could have gone one way or the other, couldn't you? You could have gone down the whole, you know, poor me, you know, look what my parents did to me, which I know some people that have done that. You know, my it's my parents' fault that I've turned out, you know, that I can't achieve anything. Or you can just say, well, you know, I'm an adult and I'm going to go and do my own thing and I'm going to build my life up. So I'm glad you did that. Honestly, you you have to reach a point where you realize that it's your life and it's your responsibility. And whatever happened before is immaterial. It's in your hands now. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. But talking about, no, not but, and talking about your parents, you know, like that they're all busy doing stuff. Did they, you know, at 12 years old or maybe younger, I know you got your pilot's license at 12 or, or not your license, but you start flying planes at 12. Let's talk about yeah. that in a minute. But you went to boarding school, military boarding school, I'm assuming maybe just before 12, and your parents actually let you go I'm like what were they thinking were they mad well let's send this boy off no and I, let him I actually <laughs> my parents weren't getting along and uh and I kind of used that and I pushed them to send me to military school I'm pretty convinced that I may be the only kid in history who compelled his parents to send him to military school but <laughs> with the resources that were available to me at the time, it was the only school in the country that I could find that had a flying club where I could learn to fly an airplane. And that's all I cared about the military, but I didn't care about that. It didn't mean, I just didn't care. And I, you know, I was obsessed with flying an airplane. And so I pushed them into sending me to school there that and I wanted to get the hell out of the house. I wanted away from there. It was toxic, but uh, they weren't mean to me, but it was just a toxic environment. And uh, I, because, and honestly, my dad isn't the kind of person that spends money lavishly. And he normally would never agree to such a thing because private school is expensive, but uh, he just felt bad about everything that was going on. So he, really couldn't argue the point and he just okay go ahead (laughs) (laughs) so so you really cashed in on a moment that's fantastic that that's it's called being opportunistic but i think that's bloody wonderful but when you you know you're talking about getting your flying i keep saying getting your license but you didn't if you're flying a plane what what possessed the military or the flying school to say oh yeah 
why not? Why not? Let's put a twelve-year-old behind the controls. I mean, most people would. Well, I could fly with it, and 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 anyone could do that. I mean, you have to pay for the lesson in the aircraft rental, but you can fly an airplane with an instructor in the plane. What what happened to me is I flew about twelve or thirteen hours with an instructor, but I couldn't go any further because you can't solo until you're. 16 years old and you can't get a pilot's license until you're 17 years old. So I flew for the first half year I was at the school and then I stopped because I was frustrated because I couldn't move on. I mm. couldn't progress beyond the point where I was. And so I gave up at least for then. Uh I didn't really come back to flying until after I got out of the army. And then I then I got my license and I got my commercial license and on and on. Yeah. Never stopped after that. Wow. You're scaring the hell out of me because I think of a few 16-year-olds that I know of, and I think, my God, I do not want them up in the sky over my house in a plane. But, but anyway, I think. Well, there's a lot of self-discipline that's that's taught as part of learning how to fly. It requires a lot of self-discipline to be able to fly an airplane safely. And most flight instructors aren't going to set anybody loose until they demonstrate that kind of self-control. It's not just about controlling the airplane. You have to demonstrate good decision-making ability to be able to be that loose. Yeah. Wow. And so you went off and joined the army and then, you know, got all your, all your pilot's license, your commercial license and everything else. But you, somewhere in there, you've switched to skydiving. So like, well, not switched to, you've added skydiving to the, to yeah, your. Yeah, I started skydiving when I was in the army. Um, yeah. I was an aircraft uh, repairman in the army and there was sport parachute clubs at a lot of military bases back then. And they would, Basically, it was just extra flying time for the pilots and they'd take us up in the air and we we could skydive. Uh, it was relatively inexpensive for, you know, military personnel. And uh, some of my roommates, uh, you know, went went and jumped and they seemed to have an awful lot of fun doing it. And it seemed like a, a nice challenge. Uh, and I tried it and. Needless to say, I got hooked. I've over 4,000 jumps at this at this juncture. Wow. Wow. 4,000. You um, and you've won like it's not for everyone. You know, that's not I'm not ever going to skydive. No, it just doesn't. No, everybody. Most people could do a tandem jump and see what it's like to actually learn to be, you know, a self-actualized skydiver is fairly involved and requires a pretty significant commitment, just like learning to fly an airplane requires a pretty significant commitment of time and effort. But, uh, you know, making it, making a tandem jump is, you know, modern uh, training techniques and equipment have made it put that within the hands of almost anyone to be perfectly honest. Anybody can do it once and see what it's like. And I'm pretty sure it's not something anybody will forget. Yeah, because uh, yeah, for me, I'd have a few skid marks to bloody prove that I wouldn't forget it. I do jumping out of an airplane and doing a bungee jump. They're completely off my list, and I don't care what anyone says. No one's ever going to convince me. But you must have been bloody good at it, yeah, and still good at it because you you won the um national championships, you know, as a skydiver. And I won the national collegiate skydiving championships while I was in college. Yes. Yeah. Shortly after I got out of the army, about uh, two and a half years, maybe after I got out of the service. Yeah. So you must have been either very good or very cocky. A little of both. <laughs> I'm sure a little of both. <laughs> I love it. Or, or believe that you have nine lives. But, you know, do you um, like like I, I see that it's really dangerous and, and that's just me. But I've just got this super fear of that, that sort of stuff is an actual people- drive to the airport is the most dangerous <laughs> part. I, w- I was going to ask you that. Is that is that a myth? You know, like, are we are we so filled with um, false fear about jumping out of, you know? Well, it's what I think what most people fear is the loss of control. Yeah. 
and it's like a fear of flying really is the fear of heights. It's a fear. Uh, it's a kind of a mixture of claustrophobia and a fear of the loss of control. And uh, and most people experience that to some degree. You know, most people are uncomfortable in a situation, one, where you could get hurt and two, where you really don't have any control over that one way or the other. Um, neither of which is actually true, but that's what you feel like. And it's certainly legitimate. Uh, after you jump, you know, some and you start to find out what's really going on, you find out that you actually do have complete control over what's happening and that your safety is in your own hands, not in the hands of fate. Yeah. And yeah. that makes it a lot less frightening the more confidence you gain in your own abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love flying and I'm not at all scared of fly. I, I love being in a plane. Take me to take me to overseas at any time. But I tell you, when you're talking about, you know, you, you it's just it's more dangerous driving to the airport. You you people think they've got control, don't they, when they're driving a car, but you have not got control. Oh, it's just because they're used to it, but no, not very much, because you don't have control over the other drivers. And there's a lot of circumstances that can happen that are outside of your control. There could be an accident that doesn't involve you that spills oil on the road. There's lots of things that can happen that, you know, you don't have control over that can make driving very dangerous. Yeah. It's kind of funny when, when I was learning to fly, when I was getting my pilot's license, I went, there's different things you have to do. And one of the things that I had to do after I soloed, I had to do a, uh, a long solo cross country. And uh, I went, you know, to the airport, I flew, you have to fly to three different airports and come back. And it's the whole thing's about a four hour thing. You know, it's a four hour event. And I came back and I got done and I tied up the airplane and I went out and I got my car and I'm driving away from the airport. And I kept finding myself driving about five miles an hour over in the shoulder of the road. And after I did this a couple of times and then I'd speed up and drive normally and then I'd find myself just doing the same thing, I realized it's because driving is terrifying. There's other cars going right past me. Like they're passing you at like two feet away, going in the opposite direction. And your combined speed is about 80 miles an hour. It's frightening. Yeah. And you don't have any control over it. If you literally moved your hand, you know, with, with another car is passing, if you moved your hand four inches down, you're all dead. Yep. In an airplane, None of that's true. You can move all over. It's a big ass guy. There's lots of room. <laughs> Their planes are not flying that close to each other. You can wander all over the place. It won't make the slightest difference. You can <laughs> take your eyes off the road and be reading a map to see where you're going and just look up every once in a while and make sure the compass is more or less in the right heading and it'll be fine. It'll totally be fine. And but the, and there's no sensation of speed because you're not going past anything. There's nothing near you. You're just floating through the air. But in a car, there's stuff going right past you and it's moving, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always say I always say to people, you know, like learners, I say, don't ever trust. Always assume the other person's going to do something wrong because you can never trust every single person coming towards you. But I love it. Now, you've done a, um, a ton of other things like. Just you've done so much stuff, but one of the things you did, thanks to your ex-wife who got you into it, is is photography, and you became a professional photographer and and yeah. videographer and that sort of stuff. So you, you're now a skydiver and and a videographer, oh, and a pilot. So you, you got a few things on your belt, but you took you just couldn't be happy with that, could you? You had to wait till Elizabeth Taylor was getting married at Michael Jackson's ranch, and <laughs> you decided that uh, you're going to just drop right in and with your parachute and film it. Now, what possessed you to think that was a good idea? <laughs> I love well, it, by the I way. Actually, I actually had a, had, a, had a good friend who was, uh, you know, who's a newscaster, uh, one of the networks, that called me two days before the wedding and said and told me that there was basically a news blackout, that they weren't allowing anybody on the on the grounds with a camera except one guy from People magazine. Everybody else was held out and uh, and basically the pictures would be worth a lot of money. And at the time I was struggling, I was 
very, you know, I was been married a couple of years and we had a new baby at home and, um, you know, I was doing fine, but I wasn't loaded and that it was a lot of money to me. So I kind of jumped into it with both feet and the guy who called me, I had taught to fly. He, you know, he knew about my skydiving history. He had a pretty good idea how I would do this, but he wasn't sure exactly how you'd pull it off. Um, and I put it together with a team of people on the ground and in the air. And, and I had to pull some equipment together that I had overnighted to me so I could shoot video and have it broadcast to somebody on the ground. Cause I knew I wasn't going to walk away with film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a pretty good idea. They wouldn't be very pleased with me, but the whole event was, you know, it was kind of crazy. Um, there were 21 helicopters circling the, the ranch, trying to take pictures with telephoto lenses from the air. And they didn't get much really. It didn't, they didn't bear much. Um, I'm the only one who got onto the grounds and because they had this news blackout, the story in the news became about me and all everybody trying to get pictures. And since I was the most noteworthy person trying to get pictures, because I actually trespassed on the grounds and got there, um, I became, it was uh, huge. I was on every news channel, television, video, print ads in the world for almost two weeks. It's kind of crazy because you wouldn't think the news cycle would sustain anything that long, but it did. And uh, there was almost nothing about her dress or any of that stuff. <laughs> so so uh, Liz Taylor went on, on television and said some pretty awful things about me and the rest of the, the people who were trying to invade the wedding. But everybody tried to, to do it the right way. They were just kind of arrogant about it. They actually hired Israeli Mossad as uh, security. And... Uh, they weren't very impressed with me uh, since I, I, you know, went right past all their security and landed eight feet from the last row of, you know, guests. But, uh, <laughs> and, and I was actually over on the radio in the airplane. We were trying to ask him when the ceremony was over so we wouldn't interrupt the ceremony, but they didn't, they just said, no, we just want you to go away. You know, I told them, well, that's not, gonna work we're we're coming i actually filed a notice to airmen with the faa and did everything legally uh to jump the only thing when my foot touched the ground i was trespassing i didn't have permission to be on the land but everything above the ground i did according to the rules so they knew they knew you were going to drop in Oh, they knew I was coming. Yeah, they had the sheriff's department had a radio crew that was actually directing traffic of the uh, 21 helicopters flying around and our airplane. They were, we were all in communication. We had a meeting before the event with all the pilots and talked about what was going to happen. We told them we were jumping in and, you know, they, they might want to avoid, you know, flying into the parachute, stuff like that. <laughs> So I'm surprised. I'm, I'm surprised you weren't arrested prior, so that you, you know, for conspiring. Well, I hadn't done anything wrong before then. I didn't do anything wrong till my foot touched the ground. Then I was trespassing. <laughs> and then, and then, when your foot touched the ground, uh, that was it. You were arrested and yeah. thrown in jail. So tell us about that. <laughs> well, they didn't. They didn't throw me in jail right then. What they did is they. Uh, the sheriff, they turned me over to the sheriff's department that was on site. They kept me in a like an RV until all the guests had left the ground. So I was handcuffed in this RV for, I don't know, three or four hours. And then they just walked me into the front gate and let me go. Apparently, if you're if they arrest you, if they don't book you within a certain time frame, they have to let you go. So these guys just walked me in the front gate, and let me go. There was a bunch of news people waiting so I didn't have too much trouble scaring up a ride to hook up with the rest of my team. But uh, about three months later, I went to court over this and I just said no contest. And I didn't spend money on a lawyer because I couldn't say I didn't trespass. <laughs> that didn't make any sense. But I did learn that basically you have to play that game by the rules. You don't go to court without a lawyer. That's just 
dumb. Uh, and they, cause they basically, they tried to say I endangered people, which is kind of stupid. You, if you're jumping out of an airplane, you're not endangering anybody, but yourself possibly. Anyway, they, they threw the book at me and I got, uh, a week in jail, a thousand dollar fine and 80 hours of community service. The community service part's actually kind of funny. The, uh, I, I showed up at a YMCA and I was supposed to do janitorial stuff and, you know, clean up. And they had a, they had an old boiler that wasn't working. And because of that, they couldn't, do any of their laundry there so all the towels and stuff they would send them out to wash them and it was a significant expense to the ymca which is not exactly a high profit you know business so i asked them if i could take a look at it i spent a couple hours tinkering around with this boiler and i fixed it because i used to be an engineering officer in the merchant marine so i spent a lot of time with huge boilers and steam engines and deep big diesel engines and the guy was so pleased that I had fixed this thing. It was worth a fortune to him. He couldn't find anybody that would work on it. He signed me off for all 80 hours. He said, you know, nobody should really suffer that much. It was her eighth wedding. How special is that? <laughs> <laughs> so I like that part of the story. I, I thought it was nice. The guy was nice about it, you know, and it was it's not like I had lots of extra time to spend being a janitor i could be more <laughs> valuable not that there's anything wrong with being a janitor but i had obviously had some better skills that were more valuable to them <laughs> anyway i uh you know i and i the week in jail i spent uh it was actually horrible to me i mean it doesn't sound like much but confinement isn't something that works well with somebody that's really independent, like yeah. I am. Um, and it was eye opening and how wasteful that whole system is. Mm -hmm. There were people in there that were destined to never get out. They'd be in and out of jail for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And, and it was such a waste. There was a young man in there who was an incredibly talented artist and the, the amount of money being spent to keep him incarcerated it was such a waste. I mean, put him in a, in a graphics art program or something like that. He could become a productive member of society and have a real life and pay taxes and everything else. But instead, you know, I'm sure he's in jail someplace today. I mean, he, you know, there's just nothing about that system that's going to change anything, mm. you know, for him and for a lot of them. I mean, some of those people there, you're never going to fix them, but we really could exercise better judgment in how we deal with some of these people because, you know, jail is just career college for some of these guys. You know, they just learn how to be better criminals. They don't <laughs> learn how to become better people. Yeah. There's nothing motivating about that system. That's going to, you know, help them rise up and yeah. accomplish anything useful. I don't mean to get off. I don't mean to preach, but it's something that that affected me and still does. I walked away from that wanting to help other people and, you know, and try to help lift people up that, you know, are worthy that, that you know, that want to be better mm. and want to have a better life. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think you went off on a tangent preaching. I think it's I think it's all valid. And it's I, I agree with you. You know, I, I don't think the. um. I don't think the school system is very useful either the way it gets people to compete. So I think we've got a lot of we've got a lot of systems in in society that are are really really holding people back, you know, and really just not encouraging people to flourish in their own right. And no, I 100% agree with you. We may not have we really don't have enough time to even touch on the basis of my angst over the educational system. I would <laughs> tell you there's a chapter in my book about it that you should read. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, no, me either. We, we could probably do a five, well, I could probably do a five-part series or a 105-part series on the education system. But, and there are, it saddens me because there's so many good kids and so many good teachers and they're just stuck in this system. But now, listen, going back, because let's not go down there because I start ranting. Um, you, when you went to jail or when you got arrested, and, and then we'll move on from this topic, but we did, was there a moment when you thought, ah, oh, shit, 
I really shouldn't have done that. You know, this is going to ruin my life or, you know, damn it, no. I didn't have a record. No, I knew I'd get over it. It was the week. I knew it was a week in jail and the week would end and it wasn't going to ruin my reputation. I wasn't, you know, it was, I wasn't a felon. Um, but I hated being incarcerated. I hated being stuck there and I yeah. knowing I couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, it was a difficult week for sure. I didn't sleep very much. Um, I was very uncomfortable. I would never knowingly do anything that would put me back in there. Never. Yeah. There's no way it's worth it. There's no amount of money. There's nothing anybody could offer me to make me take a chance of being incarcerated again. Yeah. Yuck. Um, so you know, you've you've done all this and you've jumped into the wedding and you've got the um gone to jail. But oh, the one last big question is, did you get the footage that you aimed to get? I got some. Um, honestly, they uh, there were some technical difficulties. I did. I ended up selling my story for quite a bit of money. So it worked out OK for me. I made quite a bit of money. Um at least to me at the time, it was pretty nice. Um, it gave us a nice little boost, <laughs> but uh, it wasn't, you know, some tremendous windfall. I didn't, you know, yeah. I couldn't buy a house or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> ha, that's a love. So it ended up being that you, we wanted to get the story about Elizabeth Taylor, but they got the story of you. I absolutely love it. And what a great story it's made. I mean, really it's, you know, you've you've now got this great story to tell. It's her eighth wedding or, you know, that's all over now and all that sort of stuff. But speaking of stories, so you've gone and another one of your achievements is you've written your book Leap Forward, which is not technically, uh, it's not a novel, it's, it's, it's a book. And it's a leap forward over any obstacle and it helps people facing their fears and taking risks and all that stuff and stepping out of their comfort zone. Tell us about the book and, and what was the catalyst for you writing it? Well, it's kind of funny. I started writing another book uh, on uh, a more of a technical book based on my knowledge of construction. And I started thinking about this and what I want to do with the next phase of my life. And I decided that I wanted to write this book. And this is the one that I finished first. And it's, it, it really became a labor of love. It's marginally autobiographical, meaning what leap forward it's it's a motivational book and it's about facing challenge mm -hmm. uh, facing any challenge but what it you know what each individual piece is essentially as i look at the different things that i've done and the different challenges that i've faced and the, and i explore the lessons that i learned from those experiences and how it affected how i face challenge moving forward mm -hmm. in all modesty i've taken on more and different, you know, varied challenges than most people do. And I'm, and I upfront want everybody to understand, you don't have to jump out of an airplane to benefit from my insights about what that's like and how that affected my, uh, my reality and how I face challenge. Mm. Uh, I talk a lot about my mindset and controlling your mindset when you're trying to face, a, you know, some challenge that can be overwhelming. And a lot of that is what I learned from skydiving. When you're, when you leave the door of an airplane, when you put your foot, you know, getting prepared to do that, you check everything. You go over everything in your own mind. You check your equipment. You think about what your procedures are. You plan and you, you know, you discard different things and you get ready. But at the point when you cross the line and you put your foot in the door of the airplane on your way out, you are 100% in the moment. You are living in the moment. You are absolutely completely aware and completely focused on what you're doing right then at that point in time. And honestly, that's the way to face any challenge, no matter how great or how small, is to deliberate about it as much as you need to, to make a final decision that you're going to move forward at the point, you know, but at some point you reach a you reach that moment when you draw a line in the sand 
knowing I'm doing this, I'm taking mm -hmm. this on for whatever reason. Some challenges are imposed upon you, others you seek out and accept for yourself. But what for whatever reason, it's there, it's there. And you have to, you've decided that you have to face it. And when you draw that line in the sand and you decide to move forward, you need to reach a point where you stop thinking about all the things that can go wrong and all the reasons why you shouldn't do this or you mm -hmm. shouldn't, you know, you're not good enough or any of those things that go through anyone's mind normally. But you reach a point where you have to stop thinking about all that, put it all behind you or beside you and leap forward. Take on that challenge. And it can be extremely liberating mm. to learn to do that, to stop all that chaos in your mind and really focus your attention on what it is you can do. Stop mm. thinking about what you can't do and what you can't control and focus on what you can control and what you are doing to overcome whatever it is that's in front of you. Mm. Oh, I love that. And I, I love the, I love a couple. Well, I love a lot of things you've said. And you've actually also got a, um, there's a video on YouTube about, uh, you know, I can't remember what it's called, but I'm going to put a link in the thing. It's called uh, Skydiving is a Metaphor. That's what it's called. Right. So, and it's yeah, about that's, that. the, that's one of my video clips. Yeah. That, and that's a great one because I, I do want people to understand that lots of people are not cut out for skydiving. And I don't want them to discount what I have to say because, well, I'm not going to skydive. I, this guy can't help me. Yes, I can. Um, because I can tell you what I learned from that without you having to do it. Yeah. And there, there are lessons to be learned from, you know, extreme situations. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. They can't really be duplicated. You know, you're not going to learn the same lesson worrying about, you know, choosing what dress to wear. Yeah. But the lesson you learn from how to be decisive can affect how you deal with that, that challenge. Yeah. No, I think so. I think so too. And I won't, I'm never jumping out of a plane. Like that's just, I don't even want to. It's not, not even, about, it's just, it's not even on my radar. Not for everyone. But no, it's not for everyone. But when you're talking about, you know, you you were just explaining then you, you you go through the deliberation, you know, then you sort of just decide, draw a line in the sand, put it behind you, and then just leap forward. Yeah, to me, that is metaphoric. You know, that is kind of like, well, that I can apply that to any situation. It's, it's, it's even, you know, writing a book, getting your license, going, even getting a forklift license. You know, I'm scared of a just put it behind you, just go get the damn thing. Or, or you know, I'm going to go start a not-for-profit or I'm going to get a new job or start a new career. I mean, it, it's just endless. You know, I'm going to apply for a leadership um, program or whatever it is. It, it's, it's, the, it's endless, you know, that um, the exact concept that you're talking about can be applied to absolutely everything, absolutely everything. I love it. I love it. Oh, hey, you, you said something in there that really made me think, um, it was really hit me hard. You said, what am I going to do for the next, I don't know if you said the next uh, journey, the next part of the next part of my life. Right. And I think this is, um, you know, and I've got caught up on this personally at times too, is that we, we kind of go down this, you know, we're taught at school, the same thing. What are you going to be when you grow up? You know, and we've got this whole kind of like, if I don't lock myself into a profession or become famous or, or, or became well-known or the go-to person for a particular thing, you know, I'm, I'm a nothing. But we've got to remember, and it's a very good jolt that you've just sort of inserted in there, there's a there's all these stages of our lives, you know, this stage, I'm going to be a parachutist, right? And that's another thing I've achieved. And now I'm going to go and be a pilot. And that's another thing I've achieved. And now I'm going to write a book. And that's another thing I've achieved. And all of these things just add up. They, it's, it's not like they're, you know, individual separate little things that have no relevance to each other. They, it's, it's all about our life, isn't it? And it's all about right. adding well, life is a never-ending journey of self-improvement. Yeah. That's what I learned from my parents, above all other things, that it doesn't matter, no matter what you accomplish, you need to accomplish more. There's always more to do. There's always, you can always be better than you are. You can be a better person than you, yeah. you know, than you are today. Yeah. 
There's no end. There's no end goal in life. It's just a journey. Yeah. And, and we only get, you know, whether you believe in reincarnation or whether you believe in whatever you believe in, you know, after death, it, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. I'm not dismissing any of it because who knows what the hell happens. But in this life. It's all a theory. Now, yeah, that's right. It's there. And, and you know, I, I have a belief. And But is it true or not? I've got no idea. But the point is right here and now in this flesh and blood, you know, we've only got one crack. We've only got one crack at this life and we don't know when it's going to finish. And we can we can say, right, well, I've, be, I've become a something and that's it for me. That kills you quicker. That kills you quicker than, than doing a whole lot of other things. And I reckon we've got to jam every last experience into this world, into our life, but not just for us. You know, I think that we pay, you know, our life is our rent for living on this planet. And I think that we have to leave it better. That's my opinion. And not everyone has to share that. But why wouldn't we make it better through self-improvement and through, you know, teaching other people and helping other people? Why wouldn't we do that and just live our life to the absolute bloody fullest? Well, it's all positive energy. And the more positivity you create, the more it comes to you. Yeah, it just does. It's I mean, if you look at all the major religions in the world, they all believe the same thing. There's good energy and bad energy and good energy feeds itself and brings on more of the same and bad energy does the same thing. And it just goes in a different direction. Yep. That's they're all trying to say the same thing. I know, but they just keep fighting about it, for God's sake. <laughs> well, that's that's the human part of it. That's the you know, that's the human ego part that you know everybody wants to I'm right, my way is right. You know, my God is the you know, is all powerful. It's like, well, yeah, but you're just people, <laughs> you know, we're all just humans, we're all completely wrong about most things. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if we could all learn to work together that would just be a lovely world wouldn't it i know we have to have duality but bloody hell sometimes i think we could just you know just stop the stop the arguing and but anyway we're all gonna have diff I, I love the fact that we've got such diverse diversity in opinions you know and beliefs and all that sort of stuff but it, it, it'd be so much nicer if we could just accept that you know just let, let things go well, a we waste so much time and energy in angst over stuff that really doesn't matter. Yeah. People who are fighting others, if they put all that energy into self-improvement, they would accomplish so much more than tearing, trying to tear something down. Yep. All that negativity doesn't help. No. It just doesn't help. It's all negative energy. When you become a better you, you know, everything else improves around you. Like that just, that is so obvious and so clear and it, it's just so, it's so proven. You know, when when you focus on yourself and improving yourself, you, you've got no choice but to give out greatness to everybody else and, and lift everything sure. around you. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. Um, And I was just thinking, it's funny when you're talking about all this energy, it's the same with these people that you work with in a workplace and, they spend all their energy trying to look busy instead of doing the bloody job. It's like, just do the job. <laughs> right. Just do, try to do better. Just do better. Make it better. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And so, you know, over the years, you've had a multitude of jobs, like, you know, stacks of different things for property development and, and thermal imagery, you know, and you've done, and you've parachute, you've owned a parachute school, you've um, got all your license, I don't know, you've been in the army, it just goes on and on, or the military, whatever, wherever you were, on and on and on and on and on and on. I get bored easily. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> the problem with working really hard to get really good at, you know, to do the best you can is once you get as good as you really think you can get at something, then you start looking for something else to do. Yeah. And usually something a little bit different, you know, so that's like, right. oh, oh, yeah. learn this whole new skill. But, you know, it, it's it's I'm on a number of other podcasts that I've done. Well, many, many of these interviews, it's we've we've contemplated the fact that I started out at A and I've ended up at, you know, Z or not even Z because we're only partway through. But and we thought all these things were like not connected, but but you can if you look back, you can see how one thing led to the other, you know, and it's oh, sure. 
it's created a pathway and you you know you're you're now um a lot of the jobs that you did were managing people and empowering people and you know inspiring people to become better so each one of them you've picked up this set of skills and and not only skills for yourself but skills that you've learned to empower other people and to bring out their best and so um now you do, you know, a lot of keynote speaking and speaking, you know, webinars and that sort of stuff and yep. um, corporate training. So walk us through your what you're doing now with the speaking and training and, and how you're, you know, trying to bring out the best in other people. Well, I do, I do kind of general motivational speaking about facing challenges and how to deal with, you know, uh, non-specific challenge and how, you know, the, the steps and the tools you can use to not get stuck. A lot of managers and um, developers get stuck because they're overwhelmed by so many things being dumped on their plate. Yeah. And I try to help them find a way through all that mentally, because it's really about them. It's not about the stuff. Yeah. Um, the other thing I do is I, I do, uh, I try to help leaders and, and particularly new med, you know, new people who are new to management uh, positions or have gained new um, responsibilities, mm-hmm. both organizational or as, you know, in leadership and try to help them overcome the almost overwhelming responsibility that leadership is. It can be overwhelming because you were basically responsible for other people that you can't fully control. You have to manage them. You can't control them. A lot of people fall into the pitfall of trying to control the people they're leading. Yeah. And it, guarantees their failure as leaders mm. people don't respond well to being controlled mm. yep. yes the government should listen to me right now <laughs> <laughs> but people don't respond well to being controlled and it's almost guarantees your failure as a leader you have to learn to help people and provide them with what they need to feel like they're valued and they're supported And then they will perform better. You know, if you want to encourage people that you're leading to improve their performance, you have to learn how to do that. And Mm. you have to do it in very specific ways. And if you don't, it just becomes, you know, you become an autocratic manipulator Mm. and that fail, you'll fail at it. It, it. It won't work. And that will be, you know, that's tremendously negative energy and it will impact your life in an, all kinds of bad ways because you're not going to be good at your job as a manager if you're failing to lead the people you're in charge of. Mm. Uh, it's anyway, that, and, and I do tend to go off on some of these things because I feel <laughs> very strongly about some of this, yeah. that I think that people really could be much better at what they do if they if they could key into some very fundamental truths and, and follow them yeah, and not be overwhelmed with fear of their own failure and some of the overwhelming nature of what they're trying to take on. And even when you're talking about, you know, leadership, like some people become, you know, we talk about um, leadership being influential and I, I do work with leadership groups and we, I, I sort of put influential right in the middle and, and you can be a positive influence or you can still be a negative influence. And are you trying to, are you trying to influence through persuasion and coercion and, and dictatorship? You know, that's not influence. That's not good. You know, the other end is empowerment and role modelling and all that kind of stuff. And when you're talking about um you, you know, people don't like to be controlled and people get backed into a corner. But even if you're a leader, you can still, you you get backed into this dictator kind of position because simply because you, you're acting out of fear. You know, you, you don't know how to, you're not getting the responses from the people that you're hoping to get because you haven't empowered them properly, you know, and then you're starting right. to get the puffy chest and then you're starting to say, oh, we'll just do as I'm telling you to. And then before you know it, you're in this, really horrible dictator position, you know, and you've got no respect from anybody. So I I love what you're doing. Absolutely love it. And I think that we've got to, empowerment is one of those words that we, 
it's kind of been thrown around. It's kind of a, a word that we don't really know the meaning of. And, you know, and some people use it this way and some people use it that way. And, but the, the, the true depth of it is if we, we've got to provide people with the tools to do the job the way they do it best, you know, so that they can right. flourish in their in their situation. And we don't all need the same tools. And that's the, that's the key is that we need to find the right tools for the right people and empower them in the right way that will help them flourish. It's such a big, it's such a big deal. And you can say that that's why we need people like you, you know, and, and me and others, you know, that are doing sort of their key bits in leadership because a lot of people think that leadership is a position. You know, if I'm a manager, I'm a leader. That's utter rubbish. You know, leadership yeah. <laughs> is in action, not in a position, you know. Oh, I'm, I'm the leader. No, you're not. You're not the leader. You may be the manager, but, you know, Johnny, who's sitting there, you know, crunching accounts, he's the leader because he knows how to teach, he knows how to treat people properly. He knows how to provide people with what they need. So it's a it's a minefield, isn't it? Oh, I love it. And I also love your speaking is because I know I've seen, you know, I've watched some of your stuff is that you, you, you similar to the skydiving, you bring in a lot of your um, experiences, you know, you know, and use them as metaphorical sort of um, concepts for your, for your motivational speaking. And I, I love that because there's nothing worse than somebody getting up talking about what they know in their head, but they've never done it. You know, they've never. Uh, yeah, so, no, like, no, no genuine life experience. Yeah. I have some of that. No, I know. <laughs> no, you do. But, you know, we get a little bit caught up, don't we, in um, in what qual- what qualifications do you have? You know, do, wh- where did you learn this? Have you studied psychology? You know, have you got a degree in blah, blah, blah? And yet I think we're, we're, we tend to be, not always, because some people value it, you know, we, we tend to be a little more dismissive about life experience. You know, you went through the University of you know, a street smarts. Well, I tell you what, there's so many more lessons that come out of the University of Street Smarts, you know, than than come yeah. off a piece of paper. Well, real experience is just that; it's real. It, Education, yeah. you know, is it helps, but it helps you get started at something. It doesn't really finish the job. I yeah. I have three college degrees, and I'm glad I got them all. I had a blast going to school when I went, but it, at my age, none of that means anything anymore it's really based on what real long-term life experience i have and that's valuable one of the great joys of a little bit of gray hair is that people (laughs) assume that i have some experience and when i talk they can see it um it comes out and i can refer to real experiences and but what's more important and and i think it's it's one of the most important skills that a leader needs to have is I have great empathy. So if I'm communicating with somebody, I can get a feel for them and I can reach out and see what it is they need to help them understand what it is that I want them to understand to help them. And that sounds a little convoluted, but it's not. And you have to tailor what what your message to the particular audience. You have to get a feel for who they are and where they're coming from and be able to be able to reach them. And uh, I believe that's one of my strengths. And one of the strengths has helped me go and wear all these different shoes and hats through my life and do different things because I learn the people around me and I learn to how to reach them and have, and I have respect and empathy for all the people around me who are trying to do anything. Yeah. My tribe is people who are trying to do something. It isn't anybody with a particular education or background or anything else. People who are doers are definitely in my wheelhouse. And I, you know, and I can find a way to communicate with them. No, I love it. And I like, you know, it's just on on the, uh, I used to teach a lot of empowerment stuff. And one of the things I used to teach is that always remember IOU empowerment. And you can never forget that IOU, you know, and and, and I always associate to information. So there you go with the education. We need the information. We can't be empowered without that. And the U is we need to understand it. We have to understand it. And then we have to have the opportunity, you know, to, so 
IUO, I kind of mixed them up a bit. We have to have the opportunity to actually apply it and implement it, you know, to, to experience it, to know that it's real. And I think this is the, a lot of the problem with a lot of leaders is that they give you the information and, and, and you're missing the other two parts of the wheel. Do You, you know, it's like running on a right. clunky wheel. You can't do it with just information. So I love what you're saying. I love the empathy part. I just... I love all that. I, I've loved this conversation. You, you, you're a bloody legend. I reckon you're awesome. <laughs> I love where you're coming from. I love that you're real, you know, and you've got all this stuff to share with. But I absolutely love it. Now, this podcast is Get Off the Bench. Um, it's to inspire people to take action. Um, I reckon I'm talking to the king of taking action right now. But, <laughs> what, you know, what, there, there's a lot of people out there that want to do something that they've always dreamed about and they're paralysed by fear. So this is, you've, you have touched on it already, but if there's anything else you want to say, give us some um, advice about moving past fear. I know you've said about making drawing the line in the sand, but what about when someone's so damn paralyzed? Is there a way to push through that? There is, but honestly, it starts with real having a realistic look at what it is that you want to do that you're afraid of. And you have to decide, is it something that you really want to do? Or is it just that you want to look, you, you know, you're driven to be attracted to something that you're afraid of because you want to conquer fear. And if it's the latter, then you need to, you know, look inside and, and, and deal with your fears internally. If it's an actual fear of something you really want to do, then you have to look at what it is that you want to do and why is it you're so fearful of this and break down what those things are and face them individually. Mm. And, uh, and like I said earlier about facing challenge, this is a challenge that you want to do this thing. And, you know, if it's standing up in front of a group and speaking, many people are terrified of public speaking. And, but some people are really drawn to it. I want to do that. I want to get up in front of my class or I want to speak for a living. You have to, you know, look at it and say, you know, if you really want that, then you have to, you know, think about it and deliberate all about all the pros and cons and what you have to do to prepare yourself so that you're prepared to stand up in front of a group and you have to reach a point where you draw a line in the sand and say, okay, I'm doing this. I'm going to do it. You have to convince yourself that you're going to do it no matter what and put all of that fear out on the periphery. You can still be aware of it. I'm not saying you can forget it. That won't work. You know, it's there, but you push it out to the periphery and you move forward and you accept that you're just going to take whatever comes. You're, but you, we're going to do it. And in that manner, you can move forward. I love that. And there's a saying, you know, if you decide to do it, the universe conspires to make it happen. Once you make that solid decision, it's kind of like when you're going to buy a, buy a particular car, you see them everywhere. You know, once you decide to do it, all the signs, all the support comes from, from all around to help you. Yeah, I love that. Now, where can people find you? Uh, I have a website. It's scottkharris.com. Uh, everything about me is there. Uh, I also, my book, uh, Leap Forward is on, it's available there on scottkharris.com. It's also available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, and it's available as an audio book on Amazon and Audible. Honestly, I feel that the audio book is a better product. You've heard me speak. Um, and I have personally really enjoyed books that have been narrated by the authors in the past. And that's why I chose to narrate my own book. But I think that it allows me to put emphasis where it really matters and helps me to communicate my passion for specific ideas to the listener as opposed to the printed word. The written, the book is fine. I mean, it, it's, I'm proud of my book, but I feel like the audiobook is a better product for those reasons. 
Yeah, after speaking to you, I agree. There are some people that I wouldn't listen to their audio book. <laughs> Your audio book, I think, would be absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to put all the, and you've got a YouTube channel as well and, and Facebook, and I'm going to put all those links in the show notes anyway. But um, so basically it's your website, scottkharris.com. Scott, I have absolutely loved this conversation. Really, really. It's been fun. It's been really fun. Yeah, it's been fantastic. You've got so many great, you know, your points are so, um, they're just so practical and so simple and and yet they're the things that catch us up, you know, but you, you know, some people have got all these big convoluted systems and, and it, you know, it's all quite difficult, but yours are just like, they're just so practical and they're just so based based in deep experience and I, I so much so much admiration for you I really do I just think that what you're doing is just absolutely fantastic the world need I was going to say the world needs several Scots but I'm not going to say that because it could be a disaster but the world <laughs> needs you <laughs> thank you very much and I'm not actually going to a meeting I'm going to go fly in the uh I'm I'm competing in a tunnel league in the uh vertical wind tunnel <laughs> Oh my God, you're mad. You're mad. So I'm going to go bowling on Wednesday night. I go fly in the vertical wind tunnel. (laughs) So on on that note, I'm going to let you go. And (laughs) thank you so much for joining us. Truly appreciate it. All right. Thank you. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Oh, guys, I tell you what, that was fantastic. And I just love Scott's attitude. I love his whole approach to everything. I love the fact that he's got real life experience. It it all makes sense, you know, just deliberate on it because we all have fears and then draw the line in the sand. Let's just get going. Keep the fears there because you know they're there and you can't ignore them. But just decide to do it and get moving and take action. Look, I really love that conversation. I really hope you guys were inspired by it. Now, the same as me, you don't have to jump out of an aeroplane. You don't have to skydive or bungee jump. But uh, all of the, the concepts, I guess, all of the whole you know, the metaphors and everything else is relevant to everything in life. So I really hope Scott's inspired you and I really hope that you get his book. Go follow him, um, scottkharris.com is his website. It'll be in the show notes. And um, anyway, that's it for me. Thank you very much for joining me again and I will catch you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.